you're listening to there is a song called Au Natural, <clears throat> A-U Natural, by Sweetback. It's uh, a song about feminism, believe it or not. Listen to the words and I'll get back to you. Don't want to be mansplaining. To one out of a thou Who knows the what, where's, and how's To make it all happen Positive reaction Though progressing seems stagnant And feminized the magnet For words like you can't have it You're not worthy of any position Except for missionary Or barefoot inside the kitchen Phrases often state to undermine the competition Yet everything a man does Revolves around women So let's explore realms of infertile Foreclose the facets linked to excel I defeat the art to boost my morale Start child to create all natural Let's explore realms of infertile Foreclose the facets linked to excel I defeat the art to boost my morale Start child to creation all natural Brand Nubian works a diligent Start child to creation Seize her privileges Without mimicking her male counterparts It starts in the heart not built to unify That should be awarded to the ones who qualify Equality's a vehicle that's really utilized So why should I have rights if they are not exercised Meaning as a whole in general we live a lie So let's explore realms of infertile Foreclose the facets linked to excel I defeat the art to boost my morale Start child to creation all natural Let's explore realms of infertile Foreclose the facets linked to excel I defeat the art to boost my morale Start child to creation all natural all natural, you remember me, the one that you label good to be an MC, the one that on occasion you weren't even trying to see, nor feel, but hustle several years to get a deal, when ego overshadowed true ability and skill, still rise like sun to shed light, on judgment based on gender cause I figured out my plight, to struggle and to fight, be heard and manifest, my romance with respect so brothers recollect, true romance with respect so brothers recollect. My romance with respect, so brothers recollect. True romance with respect, so brothers recollect. Sweetback. Um, welcome to another Roma edition. This is your host, Chris. 
I'm Chris, and I'm in Topanga, and uh, Charles Manson died today. I have a strange thing with Charles Manson. Uh, if you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you've heard my Charles Manson story <clears throat> about the guy I met years ago when I was traveling who um, sort of inadvertently spent some time with the Mansons and got a little caught up in some of their shenanigans. And uh, yeah, Ed, forget Ed's last name. Um, but uh, he's in the books about the Mansons. Some some people claim he was a fellow traveler or whatever. You can go back into the archives and find that. It's one of the first uh, Toma episodes. Anyway, um, my thing about Charles Manson is that I, I, I feel like, first of all, it's not clear that he ever killed anyone. He himself. So the fact that he was convicted of first degree murder and conspiracy to murder and all that. Yeah, I guess. Um, but if you tell someone to go kill someone and they do it, I mean, I guess it is conspiracy technically, illegally. Um, but it's kind of strange because there's there's a lot of people telling a lot of other people to do stupid shit and they rarely get prosecuted for it even when the person listening to the instructions actually goes and does the stupid shit. Um, I mean, I'm in the, okay, I'm in this weird position where I'm almost defending Charles Manson. I'm not really defending him. Obviously, he was a fucking lunatic. Um, obviously, I would not want to hang out with him. I would not pick him up if he were hitchhiking. I would not introduce him to my little sister uh, I'm not really defending Charles Manson, but I do think that the cultural response to Charles Manson has been disingenuous uh, for a couple of reasons. First reason I, I alluded to, he didn't actually kill anyone himself. I know he was convicted of two murders of a stuntman or something, but there was never, as far as I know, there was no compelling evidence. It was just they were charges that were piled on to make sure he never got parole or never got out of prison. Um, and, and I'm no expert. I don't, I don't mean to present myself as some definitive expert on Charles Manson, but because of this guy, Ed, that I met in Alaska, I sort of paid attention to it over the years, the case and all that. Um, so I just thought it was interesting. He never killed anyone, uh, as far as I know, uh, directly. He uh, was himself... Uh, a victim of a very fucked up American culture. His mother was a prostitute, very poor, desperate, living in the streets. He, you know, basically was a feral child, was in and out of prison as a kid, uh, was obviously very highly intelligent, but that intelligence was never respected or shaped, educated, uh, nourished in any healthy way. He was left to fend for himself. So he became a bit of a wolf. He became a survivor. He became uh, dangerous. Well, that's what happens when you don't take care of people. Uh, that's one of the things that can happen. Um, 
so I, I feel like when Charles Manson said in court, uh, you know, you people are all afraid of me, but I'm just a mirror. What you see is yourselves. I, he had a point. The other thing that I think is troubling about the cultural reaction to Charles Manson, the fact that here we are 50-some years later, uh, he just died. We're talking about him. But even before he died, people were talking about him. He's this very compelling figure in American popular culture. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons he's so compelling is that he is useful in furthering the dominant narrative, which is that hippies are dangerous, that thinking outside the box is dangerous unless, you know, you're thinking of a new way to sell fucking widgets, which isn't really outside the box. It's well within the box. Um, but questioning the central principles and values of the culture is very threatening to the culture. And so... You know, on one hand, the the whole 60s movement is dismissed as it didn't add up to anything. It was just a waste of time. It was a bunch of dirty, fucking smelly hippies. You know, they didn't know what they were doing. And look at it now. They're all, you know, the communes all failed and blah, blah, blah. In the last episode, I talked about that a little in the intro, which is totally wrong. So many of the innovative ways of thinking and and subjects that people were thinking about material people were developing in the 60s permeates the the decade since then um so to call that decade a waste of time is is to betray an incredible historical ignorance um but this idea that hippies are dangerous so so they're dismissed as as ineffective and useless on one hand and then as dangerous on the other hand uh, and Charles Manson is one of the few examples you can really think of, uh, you know, of hippies who like went nuts and killed people. And you could also say he wasn't really a hippie anyway. He just like pretended to be. He was a fucking Nazi who dressed up in hippie clothes. Um, and the women who he sent to do these killings were homeless girls who were kicked out of their homes, most of them, by cruel authoritarian parents who couldn't communicate with them and they drifted to San Francisco and this guy drove around in his van and picked them up and offered them attention and love and sex and drugs and <laughs> excuse me a place to uh, to crash and that's how he recruited his family in quotes um so in so many ways, Charles Manson is a reflection of the failures of American society. And what American society does then is demonizes him and makes him this monster who can't be acknowledged as a human being who came from a certain place and did things with a certain logic because that would shine light then on the failures of the society. It's much like the Unabomber. I mean, the Unabomber, this horrible... Okay, he killed people. He killed innocent people. He, he blew off the hands of innocent people. True. 
Um, but he also was very, very smart and said some shit that made a lot of sense about where the world was going. And uh, now, you know, here we are further down the road and he's more right than ever. And the thing is, even acknowledging that Charles Manson was an evil hippie who killed or or convinced other people to kill whatever it was, eight, nine people. Uh, how many evil businessmen have there been in the last 50 years whose decisions have led to nine deaths or more? Uh, hundreds, I'm guessing. How many evil military leaders have there been who have given orders to kill innocent people, drop bombs on wedding parties and innocent people standing around who happen to be within a hundred feet of some guy that they think is a terrorist leader. So, well, take out, yeah, we're going to lose, you know, collateral damage. Those 30 people are going to die, but it's worth it. Uh, How many of those decisions have been made in the last 50 years? Hundreds, thousands. I'm talking about just Americans. But they're not demonized. So my point is that, and it's a kind of a trite, obvious point, I suppose, but Charles Manson is a stark example of how the society, society is like an organism. And when Charles Manson is like a fucking splinter or something that jams up into it, And so what the organism does is it creates scar tissue around this thing to isolate it, to keep it from seeping into the overall organism, to block whatever message this intruder is bringing. And the scar tissue around Charles Manson is the demonization and the, you know, the, the sort of silly Halloween ish, um, narrative that's built up around him and again i'm not defending him and i'm not saying he's even a rational person i'm just saying the way that the society reacts to him is totally out of proportion to what he was and the actual effect that he had on the society um because of underlying fears of other things you know it's like There was no gun control law in California until some Black Panthers showed up at a court. uh, I forget who it was who was uh, having a court appearance, but the Black Panthers showed up. A few cars rolled in with like, you know, 15 or 20 black dudes in the black leather jackets and the berets and all that carrying guns openly. And suddenly... Ronald Reagan, who was president of California at the time, within weeks signed a gun control law. You can't carry guns in the open in California. Well, obviously that wasn't about guns. That was about black people with guns. And the reaction against Charles Manson isn't against murder or conspiracy to murder. It's about hippies, LSD, Challenges to the basic underlying principles of American culture. So that's what I have to say about Charles Manson.
Now, let's turn to some reader letters. Yes. Uh, here's one. There's a lot of preamble to this, a lot of details, but basically this is a dude who has hooked up with a woman. He really likes her. They're both traveling. It's kind of complicated, um, but now he's seeing another woman. I'm not sure how to handle this whole thing. Uh, he wants to preserve a lifelong friendship with the first woman. Um, he says, I clearly have trouble deciding if I want that to be something more or not, because there's been a lot of back and forth. Uh, but as of now, I don't want to be in, in a committed relationship with anyone. So he's been back and forth with this woman. He really likes her, or loves her, and, and they have really good connection. But because of the sort of logistics of their lives, it's not a good time to be sort of in a partnership. Um, so he wants to maintain a deep friendship with her. Uh, he says it's hard to walk the line between friends and romantic partners, made especially difficult by continuously flip-flopping and back and forth between the two. Yes. I know that probably sounds very convoluted and tricky, but I want to get your take. Do you think it's possible to remain close friends while still having sex from time to time? What's the biggest piece of advice you have for someone who's trying to manage a multi-partner lifestyle? Is this even possible or too dangerous to try to make it happen? Well, Charles Manson would tell you that you should not even try this unless you're going to go kill some people and try to start a revolution. But what I would tell you is, of course it's possible. People do it all the time. Uh, but you, my friend, can't figure out what the fuck you want. So... Until you figure out what it is you're trying to do, you're not going to be very successful in doing it. So that's the first thing. First thing is, what do you want? You say you want a lifelong friendship with woman number one. Uh, and I think that is fantastic. And I think that is definitely possible. And it's also possible being sexual sometimes and being non-sexual sometimes. Not to get too autobiographical here, but there are several women in my life that I have known since the early to mid-80s. I'm thinking of two women in particular. Uh, so what is that? 90, that's like almost 30, that's like 30 years. Jesus. Uh, I've known these women since the 80s and I love them. And they are wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, the kind of people I, you know, will possibly think of on my deathbed, if I'm thinking of anything, if I have a deathbed. Um, and at different parts of our lives, our friendships have been sexual. Other parts, they've been just friendships without the sex because... The women were involved with someone, they got married, or I was in a situation where it didn't wasn't possible, didn't make sense, whatever. But the absence of the sex didn't remove the friendship. So okay, when it's when it works for both of us, then it's there. When it doesn't work for both of us, it isn't there. So that I can tell you, uh, looking back, you know, at 30 years of of life, that's definitely possible. Um, 
but you need to be clear like in in these cases both of us knew this wasn't this wasn't going to be a partnership thing with us we really enjoyed each other's company and and minds and so on but for one reason or another we didn't see each other as life partner kind of um so we weren't grappling with that we knew what the nature of the relationship was that's hard to figure out sometimes but it's important especially in maintaining some sort of a long-term thing because you don't want to be misrepresenting yourself or expecting things that aren't really happening um you know you you don't want to be in a position where you're occupying a space in her life that you don't intend to fill. And so you're stopping her or him from connecting to someone else in a way that you know that they want to connect to someone else. So I guess the answer here is, I mean, the, the real question is, uh, da, 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 what's the biggest, do you think it's possible? Yes. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for someone trying to manage a multi-partner lifestyle? They, the biggest piece of advice I have is to know yourself and then be clear and honest about that. I think it was in um, Hamlet. There's the, the line from Laertes, who says to his son, I think he says, um, to thine own self be true, and it follows as night follows the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Know who you are, and be true to that. And as long as you're doing that, you won't misrepresent yourself to someone else. That's how I paraphrase that or as saint augustine said um love and do as you please which is a similar sentiment so now you're young the guy who wrote this email to me is in his 20s um and so you may not know yourself and it's hard to be true to yourself when you don't really know exactly who you are but you're in the process of figuring that out now and you want to try to do that in such a way that you're going to cause as little collateral damage as possible. And the way to do that is to be as honest as possible, as honest as you can about what you know and also what you don't know. So what you're doing with these women is you're figuring out who you are and that's uh that's good and uh so you should try these things and figure this stuff out and know that all of it's possible but you know it's not necessarily going to be the way you want when you want with the people you want these things are possible but it's like a three-way are three ways possible hell yeah they happen all the time but you can't like walk into a club and say i'm gonna have a three-way with you and you that's not the way it works they have to want to have a three-way with you and the other one. And everyone has to want to have a three-way with the other two. And, you know, that 
comes together sometimes and sometimes it doesn't but it's not the kind of thing that you just decide is going to happen and then it fucking happens Alrighty then i guess this is a good place to insert a little bit of music this is um from a podcast listener tangentially listener she listens tangentially uh her name's wit blue i've played some of her music before i think she's Actually, I think she might live in Topanga or somewhere in L.A. I don't know. I've never met her. Just had a few emails from her. Anyway, the song is called Stayed, and it's by Wit Blue. You can find out more about her and her music at witblue.com. That's W-I-T-B-L-U dot com. Good tune. It's got some interesting texture to it, some uh, sort of surprising turns musically. I like the way it's produced. One thing I noticed is that um, there's a line where she says something done and more. I never liked the way you made me feel like a. Come on, we all know whore is what you're thinking, but she didn't say it. She doesn't sing it. It's just silenced out like the way they silence out all the the niggers and whores and pimps and in whatever other bad words bad words in uh snoop dog songs and you know whatever hip-hop songs on the radio it's so strange just silence in place of a word and we all know what the word ah, i'm not gonna rant about that again i think bad words should be said sam silence don't, don't yeah whatever uh stayed by wit blue hope you enjoy this and uh i'll be right back with you
kind of email from someone named Phil. Uh, Phil says, I'm writing you this letter in part because I love your effect on exercising shame from the lifestyle of not having kids and not necessarily owning a home. There's nothing wrong with those endeavors, mind you, but there isn't anything necessarily special about them either. Um, Having said that, I'm a pragmatist. I believe everything is on a spectrum, complete with pros and cons. This includes social science arguments, uh, I wanted to conceptualize the other side of the coin. In my opinion, the cons of an open relationship would be the following statement said to a partner in an open relationship. Quote, Honey, of all the people I've slept with in the past year, I have had the most emotional and time investment in you, and therefore that is your significance to me. Unquote. <laughs> Uh, To me, Phil says, that kind of waters down the age-old statement said in the throes of passion, I love you with all my heart. I'd love to know your opinion on this, including if you completely disagree with me. Uh, But more importantly, could you please present a con side to open relationships as you have to serial monogamy? Uh, Con side to open relationships, there are many. Uh, You have to be very... Um, respectful of lots of different people's interests, which can create chaotic collisions. Um, Sometimes it's very confusing to figure out who has the right to determine what at any given time. I mean, I know polyamorous who, you know, they spend a lot of time trying to work that shit out. Like, okay, wait, now I said on Tuesdays, I'm going to be with Dolores, but Dolores is out of town on Tuesday. So I'll, can I be with you on Tuesday? But, and then Dolores gets Thursday and well, but I like Thursdays. Oh, well, but I want to be with you on Tuesday too. Uh, you know, you, you gotta have a tolerance for that kind of shit. Uh, which a lot of people don't. I mean, I'm personally, I'm not a polyamorous, so I don't know why I get all these questions, but I guess it's because of the book or whatever. Um, uh, so there's that. Uh, what else? Uh, STDs, you have to be very respectful and careful about that. If you're having sex with someone and then you're not protected and then you have sex with someone else and then she has sex with someone else or he has sex with someone else and you're not using 
protection, things can spread like wildfire before anybody starts feeling any weird itches, and then you're in trouble. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, just dealing with the insecurities and the, the, the hurt feelings and the negotiations and all that kind of stuff. That, uh, it's, it's a lot of time and energy. I mean, there are a lot of downsides. Now, to get to the specific thing you said here uh, of the people I've slept with in the past year have had the most emotional, and therefore that is your significance to me. You know, there are other ways of wording things that aren't quite that harsh. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, you got three kids, and when your kid says, you know, Daddy, how much do you love me? And you say, well, in the last year, I've spent 42 hours with you and I, you know, taught you how to finger paint. And that's my significance. That's your significance to me, child. Yeah, we don't really talk that way. Um, and also, you know, we, we sometimes spend less time with people who are actually much more significant to us. So the amount of time spent with someone isn't necessarily um, a correlate to how important they are to us. Now, the I love you with all my heart thing. I've thought about that. I, I had a girlfriend in high school and we broke up and I spent a lot of time being morose and ridiculous and, and feeling betrayed and you know, all that. Um. And one of the things that got me was that she had said to me with what I felt to be total 100% sincerity that she would love me forever. And here we were, you know, a year later, whatever, and she was off with someone else and I was heartbroken. And so I'm feeling like, well, I still love her. So I didn't lie, but she said she'd love me forever. And now it's 1977 and she doesn't love me anymore. So she lied, but I knew she didn't lie. I mean, I knew she wasn't lying when she said it. So in retrospect, it turned out not to be true in a very linear sense, but but I knew she she hadn't actually lied to me. So I felt unfair, even in my misery, um, sort of condemning her for having misled me or misrepresented her feelings because I knew she she wasn't misrepresenting her feelings. She was a 16-year-old in love, and she talked like a 16-year-old in love. And those are the things you say when you're a 16-year-old in love. And she fucking meant it. But now she was a 17-year-old in love with someone else. And so it took me a while to wrap my head around this. And what I ended up concluding is that, is that eternity exists like on a on a horizontal axis, which is the eternity of the space-time continuum, it's the eternity of forever the way we recognize forever, like that the universe has existed forever. So as far back in time as you go, as far forward in time as you go, that's forever. 
Uh, and that's the way we generally conceive of it, uh, at least in our conscious minds. But I think that there's also an eternity that exists on a vertical axis, if you will, which is the eternity of an experience that is so intense that you lose consciousness of horizontal time. You lose consciousness of the passing of time. And that is an eternity as well. Because time doesn't exist without the consciousness of time. Time is a measure of change. So in a vacuum, time doesn't actually exist because there's nothing there to change. So there is no time. And when we have an experience, whether it's, you know, being your first love or your second or your third or whatever, however many loves you're lucky enough to have, uh, or it's clinging to the side of a 3,000-foot cliff that you're scaling, or it's an eclipse that you happen to be lucky enough to have witnessed, or it's a really intense orgasm, or maybe it's floating in a float tank and you reach a state of otherworldliness or it's some DMT that you smoke that blasts you out into another dimension. All of these things can put you in a place where you cease to be aware of the passing, the drip, drip, drip of time. And when you're there, when you're in that state... You occupy eternity. As I say, it's a vertical eternity. So on our graph of, you know, the past into the future, which moves on the horizontal axis, it can look like just a few seconds. But it's a peak so high that it takes you out of that graph. And when you're there, you don't know you're there. When you're there, you're somewhere else. You're, you're off the graph. You're no longer uh, located along that horizontal axis. You've escaped the matrix. And so when she said, I will love you forever, she fucking meant it as much as I did. We we went off the graph vertically. Eventually, we came back down and boom, back on the space-time continuum again. And time went on and she went to college and dumped me and so on and so forth. So that was my conclusion. So what I'm saying to you is when and getting back to this email, I love you with all my heart. You can say that to someone. You can say that to two different people, maybe three different people, I don't know, maybe in the same fucking week. Maybe maybe you have a three-way with two people you love incredibly and you love them both with all your heart. Why not? Don't you love both your kids? Don't you love both your brothers? Don't you love both your parents? This idea that there's a 
limited quantifiable amount of love for our sexual partners, but love is infinite for everyone else, where does that come from? It doesn't make any sense. Why can I love all my cousins and all my brothers and my sisters and my friends and and different whatever music? I mean, if I had five dogs, I'd love all the dogs. It's would I love them less than the guy who has one dog? It just doesn't make any sense. But somehow we apply that sort of thinking to sexual partners and we act like it's normal. I don't think it's normal. Love is like fire. You spread it, you build it, it grows. You have as much as you need. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a jug of water where you, you pour out a, you know, half a glass to one person and half a glass to another person. Oh, I'm starting to run out. Oh, sorry, it's not enough love for everybody. You know, sorry, we can't. Oh, you can only have a drop of love and you, oh, but you get more because you've been around it. That's not the way love is. Love is fire. Throw another log on. Got as much fire as you want. Maybe better than fire would be to say love is like a muscle. The more you use it, stronger it gets, the more capacity it has. All right, let's go to another one. I got a lot of emails about love and relationships and stuff. So I don't know why, but tis the season. Um, Okay, I read Sex of Dawn. I got out of a really terrible jealousy-infused relationship. Unfortunately, I only made it about a year being single and free. I'm a smallish man, shy, eloquent, and romantic, but my big heart hasn't always won me satisfying relationships. I've had a few partners where a truly satisfying sexual connection was established, but for the most part, I seem to fall short of expectations, and some women have gone as far as to insinuate in one way or another that I'm not a real man. Long story short, about a year ago, I thought I met the woman I would love forever. There's that word. It was a strange and mystical meeting. I was high on mushrooms and she fit my ideals so perfectly upon appearance. There was a feeling of deja vu. She told me right away that she was a mom. This didn't bother me at all. So we danced and then we talked and then we made love. And then she went to go pick up her baby. A year later, I'm living with her and her baby and her parents, all on my dime. Uh, The father of her child is a musician. And the father of her other two children, oh, and he's got other children with other women. Uh, And he's abusive. My, my, uh, he's abusive. Okay, the father the my partner doesn't want anything to do with him so i've become full-time daddy at first everything was blissful but when we moved in together the sex went from being quite regular to averaging once every few weeks and worse than that she didn't even seem to care about me anymore in any way now i'm in a situation where i sleep in a bed with the most beautiful woman I've ever seen every night, knowing that she wants nothing to do with me. She's very attractive and has had many partners, and I assume I'm nothing impressive and that sex just isn't interesting. I feel like hired help. I cook. I work. I give her massages when she has headaches or when her shoulder hurts. I'm devoted to a fault and feel like nothing comes back to me. Not that it should. Love is something given without thought of reciprocation, but I'm feeling paranoid. 
we move to a new town. I'm completely isolated. I have a shit job. My only pleasure is getting high when everyone else is asleep. Uh, she doesn't even work anymore. She stays home with her parents and the kid. She's always too tired to make love to me and don't even mention any other sexual stuff. Uh, I basically don't have any friends or anyone to talk to. I listen to your podcast at work and I'm simply opening the door to anything you might have to say to a pathetic fool like myself who thought he finally found a woman who loved him and enjoyed his body and his weird obsessions but found out that even though she may love me, we'll never have the passionate relationship she had with her ex, who's everything I'm not. Okay, did you follow that? Um, there's a lot of in this language. There's a lot of passive um, use in the language, which is the sign of someone who isn't taking control. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, a couple things jump out at me. One of them is about a year ago, I thought I met the woman I would love forever. Okay. It was a mystical meeting. I was high on mushrooms and she fit my ideals so perfectly upon appearance. There was a feeling of deja vu. Okay. That's not how it works. You don't love someone because of the way she looks or he looks if that's what's ha- that's not love man that's ego that's self she doesn't even have to be there for that to happen you're projecting some shit out and then looking at the projection and calling that her Plus, you were high. I mean, <laughs> you don't. You, that's that's not love. What that is is infatuation or attraction or whatever. But your mistake, I think, is that you haven't distinguished love from all this other stuff. Attraction. She's so beautiful. She's amazing the most perfectly beautiful woman you've ever seen. So what? So what? That ain't love. She's beautiful. So what? You know, beauty is like physical beauty. I mean, if you, you know, if I say to you, uh, I've got this mansion and it's got, nine bedrooms and it's got gold fucking uh faucets gold plated this and that it's got a you know a projection room where you can watch your films it's got a jacuzzi it's got this it's got that you want to live there you want to live there the rest of your life in my mansion are you going to answer that question Sounds to me like you said yes, but you forgot to ask, where is the mansion? Who are the neighbors? How clean is the water that comes through those gold-plated faucets? Is this in Flint? Is the water undrinkable? Is this in 
a neighborhood where all the neighbors are going to fucking hate me and shoot at me every time I walk out the front door because I'm the only rich guy? Is it in, you know, is it in fucking Haiti? Where is this mansion? You, you, you don't know shit about it and you moved in, dude. Because it's a mansion. Oh, I've always wanted to live in a mansion. It's a big mansion. She's beautiful. Ooh, she's beautiful. What about the rest? She's got a kid. She's got an ex who's abusive, who it seems like she's still into. You're, you're like you're moving in with the parents and the kid and the this and the that. What are you doing? And, and you say that you get this message from people that, you know, you're not a real man or something. Well, you're acting very passive. You're allowing yourself to be used, dude. I feel like hired help. I cook, I work, I massage her. You know what you need to do is you need to get the fuck out. You need to leave some money for them to pay next month's rent. And you need to leave a note and you need to just fucking roll before that kid gets old enough and really bonds to you and you break the kid's heart. Because the kid's the only innocent person there as far as I'm concerned. You need to roll. Take control of your life. Stop whining. Stop being used. Stop seeing yourself as the kind of person who tends to get used. And take control. I mean, look, you said, unfortunately, I only made it about a year being single and sexually free. I only, what, what happened? Did somebody drop a net on you and drag you into some situation that you didn't want to go into? Fuck no, you walked into it. And you paid for it, both literally and figuratively. So, you know, read this message that, that you sent to me and look at the language Look at how you present it as stuff that happens to you. Whereas, in fact, every one of these things you chose, every one of these situations, every aspect of the situation is something that you chose, you allowed. You're not a victim. If you are, you're a victim of yourself which is good news because you can change that. If a fucking meteor comes out of the sky and you're a victim of that and it fucking smashes you, there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. You have a car accident and you have pancreatic cancer and there's a lot of shit that can happen that you can't do anything about. But this, you can do everything about it because the whole fucking mess is something that you walked right into. So my advice is turn around and walk the fuck out. And spend your money getting your own shit together. And don't give up being single and free and independent until you're giving it up for something that's really a lot better. And hopefully, I mean, in, in my opinion, the only kind of people I want to be bonded with are people with whom I feel more independent, more I feel that they value the independence. They value whatever it is in you that's beautiful and fierce and lovely. And that's getting stronger. If, you, if you're with someone who's dampening that, who's dismissing that, then get out. 
There's no reason for you to be there. They took care of themselves before you came. Let them get some other sad sap to pay the fucking rent. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my advice on that one. All right, I'm going to do one more and then call it a night. Uh, Hey, Chris, big fan of your work. Uh, As a successful author, I'm hoping you might be able to give me some advice on the best way to become a writer. I get a lot of these emails, by the way, from people who want to know about how to become a writer. Uh, I'm about to turn 24 and recently realized what I really want to do is write. I'm currently a corporate slave, but soon will be quitting my job to work abroad teaching English. Um, partly to see the world, but also to give me more time to write. I feel like I might be getting into this a little late, though. I'm almost 24. I didn't study English at university. Uh, How would you recommend making up for lost time? First of all, being a writer isn't like being a basketball player or something. It's not, you don't have to start in your early 20s to, you know, get in shape or something. You write when you write. Um, As far as becoming a writer it's a complicated thing because what i mean it's a complicated question to answer because a writer is someone who writes now if that's what you are talking about then the way you become a writer is by writing uh if you're talking about being a professional writer who lives from your writing then you're you that's a much much more complicated situation it's very 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 hard to make a living from writing um i've been insanely lucky to be able to live from sex at dawn for the last few years um that's going to dry up and if i don't get off my ass and get other shit out there then i will no longer be living from writing but uh if that's what you're talking about then that's that's i i recommend against that i think that the thing about people who want to be writers is that i think most of them they want to be thought of as writers. They want to be the guy at the party when they say, what do you do for a living? Say, oh, I'm a writer. Oh, you're a writer. Oh, what do you write? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's like you want to wear a writer costume at Halloween. That's not the same thing as writing, being a writer, being writing means you have something to say. I mean, I don't know. If you want to be a journalist, then that's a different kind of thing. Then that's about packaging information efficiently, quickly, elegantly, hopefully, and uh, accurately, and getting paid shit. I have a friend who just published an article in a major magazine. It's a big article. It's been talked about on TV. It's 1500 words I think it's got a lot of attention he spent a lot of time reporting it putting it together this is a really good writer and I think he said he got 250 bucks for it now you're not going to live on that so and this is a guy who's like super connected to the world of journalism super connected and he got 250 bucks for that article probably took him weeks to to write it so It's just not uh, a career path that you really want to think about. 
Uh, you want to write novels, it's even harder to, to get even get published. Um, so if you want to be a writer because you want to, quote, be a writer, uh, really question your motives. Because it's one of those things that sounds great, but the reality is not great um, for virtually everyone. Even for me, even a, you know, successful, lucky writer that I am, uh, it's a source of torment for me, as you've heard me whine about probably in the past. I, it, it's yes, I feel very, very lucky that I have a publishing contract and, and a very patient editor who's, you know, waiting for me to get my shit together. But it's, it's a very hard thing to do. It's, it's like constantly having the biggest fucking homework assignment ever. And you finish one and then you got another one if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, writing a 300 page book is a big fucking thing. And it's not just your teacher who's got to read it and, and be satisfied. The whole fucking world's going to look at it, you know, and if it's a big idea book, which is what I've been doing, then you got to think every fucking Harvard professor who's studied this shit is going to be coming at you and they probably know a lot more about it than you do. So it's like you're going to get it from every angle. I thought about that a lot when I was writing Sex at Dawn. You know, I had to educate myself on all these different fields um, because I was questioning the accepted wisdom in those fields. So it's not an easy thing to do. And I, in my estimation most of the people who go to graduate school to study writing mfas or writing workshops and all this stuff they've got this romantic ideal of what it is to be a writer you know some hemingway-esque cigarette smoking staring off into the distance stereotype of what it is to be a writer and that's that's a fantasy that's not an occupation so if you want to be a writer and you want to, more importantly, if you want to write, then write. Write what you're good at. Write what you care about. Write what you know about. And if there's a market for it and it's good, you'll sell it. You'll probably get a couple hundred bucks at most, at least when you're starting out. Um, but there is no path to, uh, you know, I'm going to be a writer. Help me. There, anyone who's selling you that is a shyster and you should be very, very careful about that. All right, I'm out of here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I'm going to play you out with a tune from a Zimbabwean musician I like named Oliver Fuck, I don't know. Oliver, his last name is M-T-U-K-U-D-Z-I. Mutkudzi, I think. Uh, and the tune is just as difficult to pronounce. I, I don't even know. It's spelled N-D-A-K-U-V-A-R-I. Nakuvara. Nakuvara, something like that. Anyway, I've got a bunch of this guy's music. I really like it. And uh, I thought I would play this because it seems that Zimbabwe may be 
having something to celebrate for the first time in a long time because Robert Mugabe at 93 years of age finally, finally seems to be heading toward the door. Uh, Zimbabwe is a sad place because it was the breadbasket of Africa. It was one of the richest, most beautiful countries in Africa and Mugabe has been in control of that place for 37 years, I think, and he's driven it right into the dirty, dusty ground. And it's one of the most impoverished, sad, repressed societies in the world. And um, finally, it looks like they are getting rid of that son of a bitch. So anyway, this is Oliver um, um, Mutsugi. I don't know, but... I hope you like the song. All right. Thanks for listening. I don't know why you do, but I appreciate it. Thanks for all your support on Patreon and all that shit. Uh, Hope you're well. I'll catch you soon.